0: Welcome to the Pulse at Pooms podcast. My name is Sharon and I will be your host today. I'm a 4th year medical student in the 6MD program and the podcast chair for the Pooms MSA Executive Board. In this series, we'll be interviewing doctors in different specialties at various stages of their training. With the series, we hope that we will be able to help you on your journey of deciding your path for the future. Today we're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Danny Shack who is currently working in family medicine in San Diego. Hello Dr. Danny Shack.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Could you start off by introducing yourself?
1: Absolutely. So um, hi, everybody. My name is uh, Dr. Jacqueline Denishak. I finished uh, medical school back in 2015. I graduated from the six-year MD program at PUMS. I ended up taking a gap year after my medical school was finished um, to do a postdoc research fellowship at University of California at San Diego, uh, UCSD in the Department of Cardiology, where I did I work and research on atrial fibrillation and some biomarkers, um, you know, relating to that. And after you know, I kind of bumped elbows with the right people and and kind of buffed up my resume a little bit. I applied for residency and uh, completed my residency in family medicine at Kaiser Permanente uh, Hospital up in Riverside, California. So about an hour and a half north from San Diego. I finished my residency, I started working with my mom, who is also an internal medicine trained uh, general practitioner here in San Diego, we are at a private practice clinic. And I joined in 2020, in the height of the pandemic, which was an interesting experience, to say the least. And I'd love to uh, let you know what it's like from Pulse 9 to San Diego, and then into private practice, because I think my story is pretty unique, all things considered. And I do now as a private practice doctor. Also, I work for DM um, at Kaiser Permanente in urgent care, just to keep my skills fresh and, and keep myself super stimulated. Because sometimes clinic can get a little bit mundane, um, but I try to also give back to my alma mater by accepting medical students from, you know, their panel or ultimate years of, of medical school from Pulse 9 and, and also Krakow, I um, accept usually international medical graduates, but I've actually taken on, you know, a couple of PA students. I have a nurse practitioner student with me. So I'm definitely accepting students for rotations in family medicine who have a strong interest in primary care um, to try to help facilitate residency positions and, you know, becoming competitive act applicants when it comes time to match.
0: I've heard about the opportunity that you have offered the students for doing their rotations, especially during like the pandemic year. It was truly like life-saving moments for them when they know that they can find the elective rotation during this crazy time. So I think that maybe we can come back to that at the end. Maybe you can speak more about how to apply for these opportunities. So maybe can you share with us your experience with family medicine and how was it for you during residency?
1: Sure. Um, I really think that I have the best job in the whole world. I think family medicine, just the breadth of knowledge that you have to have is just super interesting to me. I love that it's pediatrics to geriatrics with OBGYN and everything in between. I think, you know, I personally don't see children in my private practice clinic, but I see children in urgent care all the time. I don't uh, follow pregnancies to term, but I definitely diagnose pregnancies and do a lot of prenatal counseling. I do a lot of adult medicine and a lot of geriatric medicine. I do a lot of Medicare annual health assessments for CMS. So there's a lot of different patients in my practice, and I get to see a lot of different pathologies in my practice. I keep it even more interesting in that I do procedures. I do skin excisions, biopsies, and then I also do joint injections. So I inject the large joints, like shoulder and knees. For arthritic patients with steroids, I try to keep it pretty interesting here. I even do uh, GYN procedures. So I have the capability to place IUDs and Nexplanons, which are subdermal contraceptives into the arm. And I love digging those things out. That's really fun. I definitely try to do as full spectrum family medicine as I possibly can. And I think family medicine as a whole is not for everybody. You definitely have to have you know, you have to be a really good juggler. You're dealing with patient care and routing them to the right places and coordinating their care and, you know, making sure you don't miss anything, I think is a huge part of family medicine. And I- was fortunate enough to get amazing training at Kaiser Permanente. Kaiser Permanente is basically the HMO model of the world. They have really figured out how to practice cost-effective medicine while providing highest standard of care. So, being able to train at an institution like Kaiser Riverside, I had first of all amazing attendings. I think that makes or breaks you as a young physician yourself. I had the fortune of training under some incredible doctors in all different specialties, and you know, rotating through all the different specialties. I think is one of, one of the things that you go through in residency, wherever you go, kind of applies to your field. But specifically with family medicine, you, you get to basically go through all of ologies. So you're in, you know, you do a month in cardiology, you do a couple months in gastroenterology, you do in pediatrics, you OBGYN. So you really get great training. And I think when you're looking for a, a residency program, you really want to make sure, especially for family medicine, that the, you know, the OBGYN component and that the pediatric components are strong. If you want to practice full spectrum of family medicine. When you get out of there, it's important to make sure the program that you're at really, they're meeting their number requirement, 40 to 60 deliveries, whatever the requirement is now, I think it's 40 in my in my day that you're seeing all the patients that you're supposed to be seeing stuff because experience is everything. You really do need to get those numbers to feel comfortable. And so, you know, to be honest with you, I felt ready to fly in terms of graduating when I was like 18 months into residency. I just, everything kind of clicked. Every, I felt like, you know, I had a pretty good handle on it, but I'm actually really grateful for the last half of residency. The last 18 months were also super important for just developing that comfort level with seeing, you know, the same thing over and over again. You really, you really do get more experience and, you know, the, trust the system. The system actually is, is designed really well and I feel that I, I came out pretty competent, we'll see, but I am grateful for my, for my education thus far.
0: You have like a favorite rotation when you were doing residency?
1: And, you know, I've been asked that many times before. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to answer just because I love literally everything that I do. And, um, you know, obviously I have a a special interest in procedures. I love Procedure Clinic. It just... I just feel like it's so it's so gratifying to be able to the other day I had a, a guy in my clinic who had a piece of glass in his foot. I removed it. I had um another gentleman came in with a life home on his shoulder. I was able to remove like digging out Nexplanons. I think I did that last month. It's just there's it's just so much fun. So I think probably agers are you know my utmost favorite, but they also procedures are not benign. They're, they're stressful, you know, because you have to be prepared. You have to know what you're looking for. You have to know the anatomy. You have to understand the patient's ailment too, which puts a, a certain level of pressure on you as the doctor. I think all things considered. I I love it all. I mean, I love derm. I tend to like love the, this very cerebral parts of medicine. So when I'm getting labs back and, and, you know, interpreting them and and trying to figure out like the pathophysiology of everything going on and, you know, what my next steps are in terms of treatment. I really, I really enjoy that part of the practice of medicine, but I think, you know, getting to work with my mom, I also very much enjoy the art of medicine, which is knowing what to say, how much to say, how much to withhold, how much to really um, explain to the patient terms versus keeping things high level versus the coordination of care that the art of medicine and just being very comforting to the patients when they need it making them feel like you're their ally and that you're their advocate when they're undergoing a stressful diagnostic lookup so i really it's hard for me to say what is my favorite i love it all and i just feel so privileged to be in this position
0: sounds like you're interested in the really wide scope of the okay. different fields could you also share some information about like the fellowship
1: great thing about family medicine is that you're you know, your doors are open in terms of fellowships for things like sports medicine is a very popular one that people like to go into after family medicine. Um, people go and do palliative care fellowships after family medicine. There's lots of specialty fellowships that you, you can pursue. A lot of things that are trendy right now are lifestyle medicine, obesity medicine, given that that's like the epidemic here in uh, the United States and I guess the world the options are open for you. And I love that about family medicine. I love that at any time during my career, I'm able to you know accelerate towards something or pull back. And you know, if I want to do more procedures, I can do it. If I want to pull back, I can do that. If I want to do more aesthetics and do a bunch of Botox clinics, I can do that. It's your comfort level because in the United States, get your license to practice medicine and depending on the state that you're in, you get a, a physician and surgeon's license. And the key here is that, like, you are expected to provide the standard of care, right? And so you're able to do anything in your comfort zone. But when it comes time that, like, something bad happens, if you were to ask another doctor in the same specialty as you, that they would have done the exact same thing as you. And so that's where it gets kind of tricky. So if you do, if you do like super specialized medicine, like, I, you know, you have to adhere to certain standards of care. You can't just go willy-nilly and do whatever you want you know you have a lot of options after family medicine that's my favorite part you can't go to the specialties like cardiology gastroenterology neurology those you have to go with internal medicine to get a fellowship in in any of those but yeah family medicine definitely there's still a lot there's a wide array
0: could you maybe go back to when you were applying to residency and like the research work that you did during the gap here? And can you share some ideas into why like you chose to take a gap here, share some experience of, to work in the lab?
1: Definitely. So let me take you back to my what was it? I think fourth year of medical school. So after fourth year, the summer I took step one. Fall of my fifth year, I did twelve weeks clerkship at UC San Diego. So I was at the hospital. I did four weeks cardiology, four weeks in infectious disease, and four weeks as a sub I, which is a sub intern in internal medicine. So the point of all those were, you know, I really wanted to go into family medicine, but those rotations were taken already. So I asked the coordinator, I said, please give me any elective that is applicable to primary care or family medicine. So she picked cards, ID and sub I in medicine, which I was totally okay with. But boy, did I get my tush handed to me during those electives because I did not know the American method presentations, documentation. It was just so new to me. And so I was really fortunate on my cardiology rotation to have a really, really nice fellow. He was a cardiology fellow who helped me present to my attending at the time was the director of cardiology for like the entire Silpezio Cardiovascular Center. And so it was like my first day. Monday, they had just changed shift, and that's the person who was coming on was like the head honcho. And I remember the fellow felt really bad for me i guess and <laughs> it was just like just read off of this paper i'm gonna give you everything to say do you just just don't deviate just say all these things but i really did you know quickly learn over the course of 12 weeks the importance of chart review and knowing your patient and getting the story right and doing the workup and it was just the, the real implementation of all the theory that you had learned into practice the learning curve was super steep but you know you just you do or you do or die and you 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 sink or swim and i play could swim and that's just kind of how it goes and i think when you get thrown into those tough situations that's, that's where you do the most learning and the most growth. So I, I really thankful for my rotations there. After that particular elective, I also bumped elbows with, Another director of CCU, coronary care unit at UCSD, her name is Dr. Lori Daniels. Being that she was such an inspiration, I mean, this woman was like super, super woman. She is mother of three. She runs marathons. She's, you know, 15 miles a week or something crazy. She is just like the head of her field. She does her own research and was talking to her. And I said, you know, I'd really like to take a year off because I'd like to be a resident in California. At the time, California had a requirement for something called a PTAL. PTAL is the Physician Training Authorization Letter. It has since been eradicated. But at the time, I would have had to take a gap year anyways if I wanted to be in California. So I told her, I said, hey, I have to take a gap year. I'm really interested in helping my resume a little bit. Do you have any research opportunities? And she looked at me with her eyes wide open. And and she was just like, you are going to run my lab. That's a lesson in just ask and you shall receive kind of thing. You know, she could have just said no or passed me off. To somebody else or something but you know word of mouth gets around pretty quickly so she ended up putting me in touch with the va medical center and she said monkey see monkey do what they do at their lab you're going to implement at my lab so i opened up the the cardiovascular biobank we ended up banking specimens for lots of different cardiac research the projects that I was involved in and in, were for AFib. Atrial fibrillation is an irregular heartbeat, as we all probably know. Um, and when you have an irregular heartbeat, how do you treat AFib? You treat the cause. And a lot of people, they have structural abnormalities of their heart causing the aberrant pathways, you need to have uh, procedures called ablation to literally zap the aberrant pathways so that the heart can be in normal sinus rhythm. And a lot of these times the ablations have a high failure rate. And so patients continue to live with AFib, which has clinical consequences in and of itself what we were studying was a marker. It's a biomarker similar to like troponin and BNP and, and those, you know, biomarkers, but it's called ST2. And it's a marker of myocardial fibrosis that we would check before the patient would go in for ablation. And then we would check and see, depending on the level before ablation, if we could predict the risk of recurrence of atrial fibrillation after. So basically what was the failure rate based on the ST2 level before, which is kind of cool. There was also, um, I, we had a, an abstract that went out, um, regarding kind of like sex differences between women and men. And we found that women for some reason had higher levels of ST2 and higher failure rates than men. Um, and that was still a preliminary finding, but it was I mean, super interesting Very niche, very cardiology specific. And everyone was convinced that I wanted to go into cardiology. I never really did, but because I have such a wide array of interests, it was awesome getting to be a lab manager. I first of all, had never done kind of research prior because I just went straight from high school to medical school. I just kind of like took it by the reins and taking on pre-med students from UCSD who are awesome people. I took on like six or seven of them. I'm really proud of the lab that I selected. I got to intentionally, you know, choose who I wanted to work with. I chose people that I felt needed the Extra help for their resume, and I, Dr. Daniels, was helping me. I wanted to help the the next gen. It's just kind of a pay it forward thing, and and that's a similar, you know, reason I take students now in my clinic because I really just promote promote our Polish medical students and and just really help us because I think we have we come from an awesome university. I think Poznan University is is really well run. I think the education is up to par. I think yeah, we we have a lot of things that we have to deal with being students students and, and coming from there. But I think all things considered, the resilience that you build coming from a foreign medical school, the hard work that you put in, it pays off in the end. I can tell you, like wave to you from the other side and tell you, Hey, keep going. Yeah, definitely. That's that's kind of my research year in a, in review.
0: Pretty really cool. And I was also wondering if you were thinking about maybe you changed your mind from okay, maybe not family medicine, maybe I'll go into cardiology, but you still stay with family medicine. Were there yeah. some other residency that you considered, or was family medicine always your like
1: dream? Not yeah. really. You know, I would lie if I told you that I didn't apply to both the IM and FN, mm-hmm. but I really I had my eyes set on on family medicine, just for all the reasons I just described, love the idea of being a doctor who knows a little bit about everything. I love the idea of being able to help a broad spectrum of people. You know, if I don't know the answer, I know where to ask for help. I know what consultants to call. I know what questions to ask. And then, you know, there's this whole like humanistic component of this, which is you know you, you get to meet the families, you get to meet the babies, you get to take care of everybody. And it's just, they look to you all sorts of things from most recently COVID vaccinations for the COVID vaccine apprehensive to um, what do I do next with my cancer diagnosis and treatment. There's, People really are are at their most vulnerable when they come to their primary care, you know, GPs, and it's just, it's an amazing role to play. I highly recommend it. But if you're not someone who likes to deal with a lot of like social things, like social issues, you know, there's a lot of real light up that can get in the way, insurance issues approvals, denials, things like that, that's where family medicine gets quite cumbersome. And for those who are not truly in love with the specialty, those are the ones who burn out quicker. And so, you know, just just be aware that there's a lot of, you have to be very flexible, very adaptable. You have
0: to be very passionate passion. about your patients as yes. well. Could you describe what's a typical day like for you? A family doctor in the private school.
1: On a typical day, I would, I wake up at around five forty-five, and I do yoga from six to seven. Self-care. So it like that keeps me very level. Important. Okay, <laughs> very important self care. Yeah. Um, I will um, get ready for work, have a double shot of espresso, a uh, drive to work, and then uh, work starts at eight. From eight to four thirty, we have clinic. I'm seeing patients. Two to three to four an hour, depending on the difficulty. So, if there's a medical, a Medicare annual health assessment, which is a very it's a comprehensive medical exam for seniors, but not just limited to them. But just those are like hour long appointments where I have to really do a deep dive into all the chronic medical conditions. Or if I have shorter appointments, you know, I do telehealth appointments um, now, especially during the pandemic. We can accommodate, you know, six patients an hour or so. Um, every ten, every ten minutes, seeing a new patient on the phone. So it really depends on it depends on who needs what. Then I also do like just normal sick visits where people are coming into the office for abdominal pain, chest pain, heartburn, all these kind of things. I spend a lot of time documenting what I've seen that's another thing about primary care is that you have to really, you have to have succinct documentation skills, but you need to make sure that you include everything and don't miss anything. So that's, that's high pressure there. And then sometimes, so I'll usually have procedure days. Where I'll invite people to come, a couple of patients, maybe, you know, one, a lipoma, a sebaceous cyst, and maybe like a knee joint injection to come in and I'll complete those on like a Thursday afternoon or something. I usually spend some time with like education. So every Tuesday morning I um, attend grand rounds, which used to be at the hospital. We would all go to the auditorium and I get to meet and greet with all the other physicians and we learn, you know, topic of the week. It's how kind of we get our CME or continuing medical education hours After work, I go home and I try not to bring work home, try to finish all my notes before I leave. Occasionally I'll maybe, you know, wait till the next day to close some notes if I'm waiting for results or something. But in between patients, I'm usually checking my in-basket. The in-basket is the bane of most primary care doctors' existences. It's uh, it's where we get all our results review, you know, imaging labs, and we have to interpret and comment and communicate, like if we need to see the patient again for follow-up, et cetera. So that's kind of that's kind of what I do on a day to day. I do take students, as I mentioned. I've had an awesome year. Last year was the pilot project year, thanks to Shami, who was instrumental in getting that whole program underway. I was able to invite nine students last year. From May was my earliest student from Warsaw, and then I had a lot of Polish nine students, and then I had um, some Czech crack, uh, students, and then a PA student. So last year was. Awesome. I mean, these kids are going places. I feel so strongly about the students that I had. you know, got to coach and and help develop their, you know, medical thinking and their, you know, diagnostic workups and stuff. It was so much fun. And I really, I love teaching. I always wanted to be a teacher when I was a kid, but, you know, it felt so satisfied with how that whole project resulted last year. And I think finger, keeping my fingers crossed for everyone who's matching. Um, we had some really good quality applicants and candidates.
0: Like They were all really super excited about it and they all said how much it helped them and um, motivated them to continue on this journey as like an IMG. And you really gave them a lot of like strength and positivity and a lot of like feedback as to what to improve on their whichever aspect they need to improve on. Thinking about medical students and like taking in students from uh, electives, what qualities do you look for when you're coaching medical students?
1: great questions believe it or not um you don't need to be the smartest in the class you don't need to be you know top marks on your USMLE or anything you need to be a go-getter and that's just a general rule for blend medicine you have to be you have to be the one the one person who's going to go the extra mile who's going to stay you know after hours to get the right answer who's going to you know look up all the information about whatever pathology you just saw in clinic and come to me the next day and tell me all about it like the, the, I was so impressed with the students that I had last year because each one of them came with a different comfort level, you know, a different understanding of, you know, obviously everyone was up to par in terms of their medical knowledge. Everyone was appropriate for their, for their level of training. Some, some students I had were actually exceeded their level of training, but I, I the one thing, the common denominator that they all had was that they were all super eager and go-getters.
0: Willing to put in the extra mile and put in the extra work for this. Could you share some advice for students applying to residency? What do you think will help them and send out during their interview and such?
1: Yes, great question. So uh, almost everybody on the, on my interview trail asked me why I went to Poland. And okay. so you need, to be, you need to be prepared to answer that question. Frankly, you need to be very passionate about why you went to Poland. Studying abroad in Poland is an amazing opportunity. First of all, you're in the heart of Europe. Second of all, you get an amazing education in a, a country that has you know universalized health care you have an exposure to universalized health care so for me coming from the united states that was a new that was a new concept to me right like cuz here we're it's all independent on whether insurance or not will cover and, and things like that getting to compare and contrast different medical experiences in terms of you know the medical systems you get to experience unfortunately for the patient sometimes but you get to see a lot of later stage Pathology. An example that I always uh, kind of revert to, or I guess two examples. You know, I had a lady in Poland who I was on my endocrinology rotation. I asked her, you know, because I also spoke Polish, I asked her, I said, hey, you know, what brings you to clinic today? Like, what's wrong? And she said, I came in because I couldn't put on my turtleneck. And when you looked at the woman, she had massive goiter in her neck, things like that. Like, I feel like you don't really see anything quite so pronounced, or at Mm -hmm. least not, not. I haven't seen it here in in California, but you know, I had I had a lady that came in quote breast rash on her breast, and so when we took a look, it was just infiltrating, probably some kind of ductal carcinoma of the breast that was super late stage. And you get to see what happens when you don't have access to preventative medicine or access to. Uh, Preventative care at the right times, a person's life, which is something that at Kaiser Permanente, when I was in residency, that was something that was just drilled into us, screening, 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 prevention is better than cure, that kind of thing. To go back, you know, what you should say on the interview trail and what kinds of things explain to interviewers, program directors is that, you know, you get to see a lot when you're in a, in a country like Poland. And I credit my Polish attendings as being Incredible diagnosticians and clinicians. I mean, if you think about it, like I, I have some friends that work in the ER and they tell me I can't do my job without a CT scan. Well, guess what? They do their job without a CT scan all the time in Poland, you know, and, and I think you know there's a there's a real value to being to being exposed to different pathologies in Poland and seeing how they do their work up and seeing, you know, what their threshold is for certain conditions. And, you know, I'm speaking very generally, but the, but the experience I think is incredible. And so that's what you need to highlight when you're on that interview trail. When, when you're being asked why Poland, everyone has a story. Everyone has an amazing story of what brought them to Poland, whether it's like a family member that told them about it, or they're Polish and they went, or, you know, in my case, I had a a sick grandmother that I also wanted to like, you know, be around before she passed away when I was in medical school. So it was, everyone has a story and a reason behind it. And if your reason is just I just really wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to find the most efficient economical way possible, it's a great story too. So don't feel like you should have no complex being an international medical graduate from Poland. I think we're pumping out some great physicians. I mean, when I look at my cohort from class of twenty fifteen, both four year program and and six year program and and beyond, every I think everyone coming out is killing it. If that's not an indicator to how Poland prepares you, then you know I don't know what is. I definitely think it's a lot of self motivation and I. Think that's also something that you can highlight in your interviews that was a lot of self-study you know you got to where you're going because you are passionate and you want to be here like you the difference between you and maybe you know another student who who's already in the system is that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get a residency spot in the states you know so i think just when they feel that energy from you and if it's genuine like they'll believe it and they'll they'll really honor that and i think the worst thing you can do is talk negatively about the institution you're coming from never do that okay it reflects so poorly on you as the interviewee you don't want to play that game regardless of how you feel about bureaucracies that come with any when you're in any institution there's bureaucracy everywhere fight the bullet and you just do what you what you can to to get through the system and just um, really try to promote yourself explain yourself and why you chose everyone wants to know your why so make sure that you you really highlight the why and there's no wrong answer on that one
0: that's like great advice for students that are applying and thinking about what What is their reason for coming to Poland for medical school for students that are still a few years away from their application are there some advice you would like to give them
1: um so we're talking like first through third year and then yeah like first through fifth mm -hmm. year students yeah um let's see obviously learn with understanding there is nothing to really memorize in medicine when you get to the physiology biochemistry and that i mean actually anatomy is a bunch of memorization so it's far but generally speaking try to learn everything with understanding because the sooner you understand something you don't have to memorize anything and then everything just builds on what you've previously learned so you know, everything from basic medical sciences through clinical sciences, I think is so important. I didn't really, I didn't really have an appreciation for, for how much things would kind of come together, but I can tell you that after my fourth year, I think I was in pathology when everything just kind of clicked. And it was the most amazing, like, aha moment that I had, things started to make sense why I was learning this stuff in biochemistry and phys. And why, when I finally learned the pathology, like why everything kind of, you know, how everything worked. when you get to that, moment you really start to roll and it's like it's like you're scoring higher because you understand and and it just kind of like snowballs on itself and it's like an amazing you know the journey once you get to that aha moment ideally when you put in the hours and I and I mean you have to put your head down and work hard um every single day you know Rome wasn't built in the day all these like little you know sayings that I could give you but really if you just put a little brick on the wall every single day and you build yourself your strong foundation sooner rather than later. I mean, maybe maybe you find yourself halfway through second or third year and you're panicking because you feel like you lack, you know, you lack foundation or something. I find that really hard to believe because once you make it past first year, I think you're pretty good. But I think it's really important to just really focus on that foundation. And then everything that you build on top of that will only, it'll, everything gets easier. So the stronger your foundation, the the easier it is. And then don't skip around. Don't go to, don't pick up the BRS books Unless you've studied the material, like do the Kaplan videos, do the instructional pathoma videos. Like that, by the way, you can't be a doctor in the United States without lear- learning pathoma. I think that is, that's where the money is at in terms of path. But generally speaking, you know, there's, there's so many great resources out there. You know, listen to your peers, talk to your friends, talk to your, your elders, quote unquote, you know, upper years, and find out, you know, what, what worked for them and, and really just come up with a method. Be very methodical about it. Look at your week and say, okay, Every morning, if you're a morning, morning workout person, do that. If you're not eating, okay, I'm going to, you know, go to school from eight to 12. After that, I'm going to come home and study from 12 to six. And then I'm going to go for a workout. And then, you know, when you get very regimented, those bricks that you're building for your foundation just start to pile on by themselves because you're, you're doing something with routine. Mm-hmm. I think. Never underestimate the power of questions. I think the, the trick is in the U-World questions. I, you know, for every exam I did U-World two or three, maybe four times tops, just to reinforce the concept and remember, don't memorize the U-World questions. You will never see an identical u World question on the steps. But if you understand the concept and you understand why the wrong answers are wrong and you understand everything, I think that's brilliant and amazing source that you can use. And really, you know, seek out other, other forms of teaching. So if, if you, if you do the Kaplan course live or if you do the Kaplan videos or, you know, there's, there's lots of supplements that I think can only help you. And I think trying to figure out your learning method, your learning style, if you're more auditory, if you're more visual, if you're more like write it down, kinesthetic, then try to figure that out sooner rather than later, and then just pick a pick a plan and stick to it. I think consistency is key there. Consistency and like really pushing through it. So finally, for the bonus
0: and the highlight of the session, could you speak more about the elective opportunity that you're offering students right now in San Diego?
1: Absolutely. If you like primary care, if you're interested in family medicine, internal medicine, you know, ER, psych. P you know, I'm happy to have you. I'm happy to have you. And if you're not let's just say you want to be a surgeon or something, um, I'm also happy to have you. It's just there's there's a certain energy that I think you have to have in order for me to, to want to teach you because teaching it takes away time, right? And so I wanna be helpful to someone who who will like truly benefit from my teaching and my um, style and everything. And I find that the people that I get along the best with are the people who have a genuine interest in primary care are the people who you know are willing to put in the work and hours. They're not just looking for like a vacation in San Diego. Um, and thankfully, last year you know the pilot project went great. All nine of my students were were fantastic. And if you just talk to them about their experiences, I'm sure they'll they'll share with you kind of how I am. But definitely, if you if you're interested, you can go to our website. It's www.medicusmdinc.com. Medicus is the Latin word for doctor, so it's M-E-D-I-C-U-S. M-D-I-N-C dot com. And, um, there's a, there's an application form to fill out there. Alternatively, if you talk to Michael Chen, uh, he's the one kind of spearheading the interview process for me, um, in Poland. So if you're interested, you're, you can talk to him. He's kind of my eyes and ears. So definitely either apply online or talk to, talk to Michael Chen. And then we'll have an interview and we'll determine if it's a good fit for you and if timing works out. Cause I, I try to devote, you know, two to three weeks of one-on-one time. And then sometimes there might be like a week overlap where you share, uh, you're elected with another person, but I already have two students coming this year. Um, I think in April, so I, I'm really looking forward to them I'm excited to have them here. Yeah, just just you know, any questions? Reach out. The key here is that you're you know willing to put in the work because I, I do really want to help our students from Palestine because I think I don't know how many elective spots there are for international medical grads. I know that's a real challenge when you're in that penultimate year and you're trying to apply for electives and you're getting told no a lot because no one wants to take IMGs. And I'm sure the pandemic just totally threw things off. Um, but I am, I'm super eager to help the eager. So you're always welcome.
0: Thank you, Thank you so much, Dr. Dini for everything that you have shared with us today. And for students that are interested in finding out more about this elective, we'll also put the website description in the podcast description below and thank you so much it was a great pleasure for us to hear from you